हेलो एवरीवन सो हेयर इज द लास्ट गर्ल बाय नादिया मुराद चैप्टर टू पार्ट वन आई होप यू आर गोइंग टू लाइक इट सो लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड चैप्टर टू माय मदर लव्ड मी बट शी डिड नॉट वांट टू हैव मी फॉर मंथ्स बिफोर आई वाज कंसीव्ड शी सेव्ड मनी वेन शी कुड एसपियर दिन आर हेयर एंड देयर चेंज फ्रॉम अ ट्रिप टू द मार्केट फॉर अ पाउंड ऑफ टोमेटोज सोल्ड ऑन द स्लाई टू स्पेंड ऑन द बर्थ कंट्रोल शी डिड नॉट डेयर आज माई फादर फोर यजीदीज डोंट मैरी आउटसाइड द रिलीजन और अलो कन्वर्जन इन टू यजीदिजम एंड लार्ज फैमिलीज फॉर द बेस्ट वे टू गारंटी दैट वी डिड नॉट डाई आउट कम्प्लीटली प्लस द मोर चिल्ड्रन यू हैड द मोर हेल्प यू हैड ऑन द फार्म माई मदर मैनेज टू बाय द पिल्स फॉर थ्री मंथ्स अंटिल शी रेन आउट ऑफ मनी एंड देन आलमोस्ट इमिडिएटली शी वॉज प्रेगनेंट विद मी हर इलेवेंथ एंड लास्ट चाइल्ड she was my father's second wife his first had died young leaving him with four children who needed a woman to help raise them my mother was beautiful born to a poor and deeply religious family in kocho and her father happily gave her to my father as a wife he already had some land and animals and compared to the rest of kocho was well off so before her 20th birthday before she had even learned how to cook my mother became a wife and stepmother to four children and then quickly she became pregnant herself she never went to school and did not know how to read or write like many yazidis whose mother tongue is kurdish she did not speak much arabic and could barely communicate with arab villagers who came to town for weddings or as merchants even our religious stories were a mystery to her but she worked hard taking on the many tasks that came with being a farmer's wife it was not enough to give birth 11 times each time except for the dangerous labor with my twin brothers saud and masood at home a pregnant yazidi woman was also expected to lug firewood plant crops and drive tractors until the moment she went into labor and afterward to carry the baby with her while she worked My father was no around Kocho for being a very traditional devout Yazidi man. He wore his hair in long braids and covered his head with a white cloth. When the kawas, traveling religious teachers who play the flute and drums and recite hymns, visited Kocho, my father was among the men who would greet them. He was a prominent voice in the jiwat or meeting house where male villagers could gather to discuss issues facing the community with our mukhtar injustice hurt my father more than any physical injury and his pride fed his strength the villagers who were close to him loved to tell stories of his heroism like the time he rescued ahmed jaso from a neighboring tribe who were determined to kill our mukhtar or the time the expensive arabian horses belonging to a sunni arab tribal leader escaped from their stables and my father used his pistol to defend khalaf a poor farmer from kocho when he was discovered riding one in nearby fields your father always wanted to do what was right his friends would tell us after he passed away once he let a kurdish rebel who was running away from the iraqi army sleep in his house even though the rebel let the police ride to his doorstep the story goes when the rebel was discovered the police wanted to imprison both men but my father talked his way out of it i did not help him because of his politics he told the police i helped him because he is a man and i am a man 
and they let him go and the trouble turned out to be a friend of Masood Barzani his friends recall still amazed all these years later my father was not a bully but he fought if he had to he had lost an eye in a farm accident and what was left in the socket a small milky ball that looked like the marbles i played with as a kid could make him look miniaking i have often thought since then that if my father had been alive when isis came to kocho he would have led an armed uprising against the terrorist by 1993 the year i was born my parents relationship was falling apart and my mother was suffering the eldest son born to my father's first wife had died a few years earlier in the iran iraq war and after that my mother told me nothing was ever good again my father had also brought home another woman sara whom he married and who now lived with their children on one end of the house my mother had long considered her own polygamy is not outlawed in hinduism but not everyone in kocho would have gotten away with it no one questioned my father though by the time he married sara he owned a great deal of land and shape and in a time when sanctions and war with iran made it hard for anyone to survive in iraq he needed a big family to help him bigger than my mother could provide i still find it hard to criticize my father for marrying sara anyone whose survival is directly linked to the number of tomatoes grown in one year or the amount of time spent walking their ship to better grass can understand why he wanted another wife and more children these things were not personal later on though when he officially left my mother and sent us all to live in a small building behind our house with barely any money and land i understood that his taking a second wife had not been completely practical he loved sara more than he loved my mother i accepted that just as i accepted that my mother's heart must have been broken when he first brought home a new wife after he left us she would say to me and my two sister dimal and adki good willing what happened to me won't happen to you i wanted to be like her in every way except that i did not want to be abandoned my brothers were not all as understanding god will make you pay for this masood shouted at our father once in a rage but even they admitted that life got a little easier when my mother and sara were not living together and competing for my father's attention and after a few years we learned how to coexist kochu was small and we often saw him and sara i passed by their house the house i was born in every day on my way to elementary school theirs was the only dog along that walk that knew me well enough not to bark we spent holidays together and my father would sometimes drive us to sinjar city or to the mountain in 2003 he had a heart attack and we all watched as my strong father instantly became an ill elderly man confined to a wheelchair in the hospital when he died a few days later it seemed just as likely that it was out of shame over his frailty as it was because of his bad heart masood regretted having yelled at him he had assumed his father was strong enough to take anything my mother was a deeply religious woman believing in the science and dreams that many zidis used to interpret the presence or predict the future when the moon first appeared in the sky as a crescent 
I would find her in the courtyard lighting candles. This is the time when children are most vulnerable to illness and accidents, she explained. I am praying that nothing happened to any of you. I often got sick to my stomach and when I did, my mother took me to see the healers who gave me herbs and teas which she argued me to drink even though I hated the taste and when someone died, she visited a kochak, a Yezidi mystic who would help confirm that the deceased had made it into the afterlife. Many Yezidi pilgrims take a bit of soil before they leave Lalish, a valley in northern Iraq where our holiest temples are, and wrap it up in a small cloth folded into a triangle which they keep in their pocket or wallet as a talisman. My mother was never without some of that holy soil, particularly after my brothers started leaving home to work with the army. They need all the protection they can get, Nadia, she would say. It is dangerous what they were doing. She was also practical and hardworking, trying against great odds to make our lives better. Yazidis are among the poorest communities in Iraq, and my family was poor even by Kocho's standards, particularly after my parents separated. For years, my brothers dug wells by hand, luring themselves delicately into the wet, sulfurous ground inch by inch, careful not to break a bone. They also, along with my mothers and sisters, farmed other people's land, taking only a small percentage of the profit for the tomatoes and onions they harvested. The first 10 years of my life, we rarely had meat for dinner, living on boiled greens and my brothers used to say they bought new pants only when they could see their legs through the old ones. Gradually, thanks to my mother's hard work and the economic growth in the northern Iraq after 2003, our situation and that of most Yazidis improved. My brothers took jobs as border guards and policemen when the central and Kurdish governments opened up positions to Yazidis. It was dangerous work. My brother Zalo joined a police unit guarding Tal Afar airport that lost a lot of its men in combat in the first year. But it paid well. Eventually, we were able to move from my father's land into our own house. People who knew my mother only for her deep religious beliefs and work ethic were surprised by how funny she could be and how she turned her hardship into humor. She had a teasing way of joking and nothing, not even the reality that she would almost certainly never marry again, was off limits. One day, a few years after she and my father separated, a man visited Kocho, hopeful for my mother's attention. When she heard he was at the door, she grabbed a stick and ran after him, telling him to go away that she would never marry again. When she came back inside, she was laughing. You should have seen how scared he was, she told us, imitating him until we were all laughing too. If I was going to marry, it would not be up to a man who ran away from an old lady with a stick. She joked about everything, about being abandoned by my father, about my fascination with hair and makeup, about her own failures. She had been going to adult literacy classes since before I was born and when I became old enough, I started tutoring her. She was a fast learner in part, I thought, because she was able to laugh off her mistakes. When she talked about that scramble for birth control before I was conceived, it was as if she were telling a story from a book she had read long ago and lived only for its punchlines. 
her reluctance to get pregnant with me was funny because now she could not imagine life without me she laughed because of how she had loved me the moment i was born and because i would spend each morning warming myself by our clay oven while she baked bread talking to her we laughed because i would get jealous whenever she doted on my sister or nieces instead of me because i vowed never to leave home and because we slept in the same bed from the day i was born until isis came to kocho and tore us all apart she was our mother and our father at the same time and we loved her even more when we became old enough to understand how much she must have suffered I grew up attached to my home and never imagined living anywhere else. To outsiders, Kocho may seem too poor to be happy and too isolated and barren to ever be anything but desperately poor. American soldiers must have gotten that impression, giving the way kids would swarm them when they came to visit, begging for pens and candy. I was one of those kids asking for things. Kurdish politicians occasionally came to Kocho. although only in recent years and mostly before elections one of the kurdish parties barzani's kurdistan democratic party kdp opened a small two room office in kocho after 2003 but it seemed to exist mostly as a clubhouse for the village men who belonged to the party a lot of people complained privately that the kdp pressured them into supporting the party and into saying yazidis were kurds and sinjar was part of kurdistan iraqi politicians ignored us and saddam has tried to force us to say we were arab as though we could all be threatened into giving up our identities and that once we did we would never rebel Just living in Kocho was in a way defiant. In the mid 1970s, Saddam began forcibly moving minorities, including Kurds and Yazidis, from their villages and towns into cinder block houses in planned communities where they could be more easily controlled. A campaign people called the urbanization of the north, but Kocho, but Kocho was far enough from the mountain that we were spared. Yazidi tradition that become old fashioned in these new communities thrived in my village women wore the gozi white dresses and headscarves of their grandmothers elaborate weddings featured classic Yazidi music and dance and we fasted in atonement for our sins when many Yazidis had given up that custom it was safe and close knit and even fights over land or marriage ended up feeling minor at least none of it had an impact on how much we loved one another villagers went to one another house late into the night and walked the street without fear i heard visitors say that at night from afar kocho glowed in the darkness adke swore she once heard someone described it as the paris of the sinjar kocho was a young village full of children there were few people living there who were old enough to have witnessed for firman's first hand and so a lot of us lived thinking those days were in the past that the world was too modern and too civilized to be the kind of place where an entire group could be killed just because of their religion i know that i felt that way we grew up hearing about past mascaras like folk tales that helped the bond us together in one story a friend of my mother's described fleeing operation in turkey where many yazidis once lived with her mother and her sister trapped for days in a cave with nothing to eat her mother pulled leather to keep them alive 
I heard this story many times and it made my stomach turn. I did not think I could eat leather even if I was starving, but it was just a story. Admittedly, life in Kochu could be very hard. All those children, no matter how much they were loved, were a burden on their parents who had to work day and night to feed their families. When we were sick and the sickness could not be healed with herbs, we would have to be taken to Sinzer city or to Mosul to see a doctor. When we needed clothes, those clothes were seen by hand by my mother or after we got a little wealthier, purchased once a year in a city market. During the years of United Nations sanctions on Iraq, intending to force Saddam from power, we cried when it became impossible to find sugar. When schools were finally built in the village, first a primary school and then many years later a secondary school, parents had to weigh the benefits of their kids getting an education against keeping them at home to work. Average Iridis had long been denied an education, not just by the Iraqi government but also by religious leaders who worried that a state education would encourage intermarriage and therefore conversion and loss of Yazidi identity. But for the parents, giving up the free labor was a great sacrifice and for what kind of future the parents wondered, for what jobs and where? There was no work in Kocho and a permanent life outside the village away from other Yazidis attracted only the very desperate or the very ambitious. A parent's love could easily become a source of pain. Life on the farm was dangerous and accidents happened. My mother pinpointed the moment she grew from a girl into an adult to when her older sister was killed, throw from a speeding tractor and then run over right there in the middle of the family wheat field. Illness was sometimes too expensive to treat. My brother Jalo and his wife Jinan lost baby after baby to a disease that was inherited from Jinan's side of the family. They were too poor to buy medication or take the babies to a doctor and out of eight births, four children died. Divorce took my sister Dima's children away. In Yazidi society, as in the rest of Iraq, women have few rights when a marriage ends, no matter what happened to end it. Other children died in wars. I was born just two years after the first Gulf War and five years after the end of Iran-Iraq War, a pointless eight-year conflict that seemed to fulfill Saddam's desire to torture his people more than anything else. The memories of these children, who we could never see again, lived like ghosts in our house. My father cut off his breads when his eldest son was killed, and although one of my brothers was named after this son, my father could only bear to call him by a nickname, Hajni, which means sadness. We measured our lives by harvest and by Yazidi holidays. Seasons could be brutal. In the winter time, Kocho's alleyways filled with the cement-like mud that sucked the shoes off your feet, and in the summer time, the heat was so intense we had to drag ourselves to the farm at night rather than risk collapsing under the sun during the day. Sometimes harvest would disappoint and when that happened, the gloom would stretch on for months at least until we planted the next round of seeds. Other times, no matter how much we harvested, we did not make enough money. We learned the hard way by lugging bags of produce to market and then having customers turn the vegetables over in their hands and walk away. What sold and what did not, wheat and barley were the most profitable, onions sold but not for much. Many years we fed overripe tomatoes to our livestock just to get rid of the excess. 
Still no matter the hardship I never wanted to live anywhere other than Kocho the alleyways may have filled with mud in the winter but no one had to go far to see the people they loved most in the summer the heat was stifling but that meant we all slept on the roof side by side talking and laughing with neighbors on their own roofs Working on the farm was hard but we made enough money to live a happy simple life. I loved my village so much that when I was a child my favorite game involved creating a miniature kocho out of discarded boxes and bits of trash. Catherine and I filled those model homes with handmade wooden dolls and then married the dolls to one another. Of course before every wedding the girl doll would visit the elaborate house I made out of a plastic tomato crate where I ran a hair salon. Most importantly I would never have left Kocho because my family was there we were a little village ourselves i had my eight brothers elias the eldest was like a father kheri was the first to risk his life as a border guard to help feed us pais was stubborn and loyal and would never let anything happen to us there was masood who grew up to be the best mechanic and one of the best soccer players in kocho and his twin saud who ran a small convenience store in the village jalo opened his heart to everyone even strangers sayed was full of life and mischief and longed to be a hero and it was hajni the dreamer whose affection we all competed for my two sisters the madrin quiet dimal and adke who one day would fight with our brothers to let her a woman drive our pickup truck and the next weep over a lamb who collapsed dead in the courtyard still lived at home and my half brothers khalid walid haji and nawab and my half sisters halam and haim were all nearby kochu was where my mother shami like good mothers everywhere devoted her life to making sure we were fed and hopeful it is not the last place i saw her but it is where she is when i think about her which i do every day even during the worst year of the sanctions she made sure we had what we needed when there was no money for treats she gave us beer barley to trade for gum at the local store when a merchant came through kocho selling a dress we could not afford she beggared him into taking credit at least now our house is the first one they visit when they come to kocho she joked if one of my brother complained about the debt She had grew up poor and she never wanted us to appear needy but villagers wanted to help us and gave us small amounts of flour or cookies when they could once when i was very young my father was walking home sorry my mother was walking home from the mill with only a little flour in her bag and was stopped by her uncle suleiman i know you need help why don't you ever come to me he asked at first she shook her head we are fine uncle she said we have everything we need but suleiman insisted i have so much extra wheat you have to take some and the next thing we knew four big oil cans full of wheat had been delivered to our house enough for us to make bread for two months my mother was so ashamed that she needed help that when she told us what happened her eyes filled with tears and she vowed that she would make our lives better day by day she did her presence was a reassurance even with the terrorist nearby god will protect the yazidis she told us every day there are so many things that remind me of my mother the color white a good and perhaps inappropriate joke a peacock which yazidis considered a holy symbol and the short prayers i say in my head when i see a picture of the bird 
For 21 years my mother was at the center of each day. Every morning she woke up early to make bread, sitting on a low stool in front of the tandoor oven we kept in the courtyard, flattening balls of dough and slapping them against the sides of the oven until they were puffy and blistered, ready to be dipped into bowls of golden melted ship's butter. Every morning for 21 years I woke up to the slow slap 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 of the duff against the oven walls and the grassy smell of the butter letting me know my mother was close by half asleep I would join her in front of the tandoor in the winter warming my hands by the fire and talk to her about everything school weddings fight with siblings for years i was convinced that snakes were hatching babies on the tin roof of our outdoor shower i heard them i insisted to her making slithering sounds but she just smiled at me her youngest child nadia is too scared to shower alone my siblings mocked me and even when a baby snake fell on my head prompting us to finally rebuild the shower i had to admit they were short of right i never wanted to be alone i would pick burned edges of the fresh bread updating my life plan for her no longer would i simply do here in the salon i planned to open in our house we had enough money now to afford the coal and i should do popular in cities outside kochu so i would also do makeup after i got home from a day teaching history at the secondary school my mother nodded her approval just as long as you never leave me nadia she would say wrapping the hot bread in fabric of course i always replied i will never leave you thank you for joining me i hope you like it